0: This is Battlegrounds.
1: On today's episode of Battlegrounds, our focus is on the country of Jordan, a critical U.S. partner in the Middle East. This past year, Jordan marked its centennial, demonstrating a century of resilience and stability. Our guest, His Majesty King Abdullah II of Jordan is the longest-serving Arab leader currently in office. He assumed power from his father, King Hussein, in 1999, following a distinguished military career. He is head of the Hashemite dynasty and a direct descendant of the prophet Muhammad. Located in the heart of the Middle East, Jordan has a history rooted in diversity, tolerance, and moderation with a legacy of being a safe haven to millions. The banks of the River Jordan are the crossroads of the Fertile Crescent, the birthplace of human civilization and the world's three monotheistic faiths. The Ottomans ruled the region from 1516 until the end of World War I, when the Ottoman Empire fell after the Great Arab Revolt, which was led by King Abdullah II's great-great-grandfather, Sharif Hussein bin Ali. The fallen Ottoman Empire was partitioned into British and French mandates under the Sykes-Picot Agreement. The Emirate of Transjordan was established in 1921 as a Heshemite ruled state under the British mandate covering the lands to the east of the Jordan River. Jordan gained full independence with the establishment of the Heshemite Kingdom of Jordan in 1946. And King Abdullah I became the founding ruler of Jordan. Despite regional turbulence and economic challenges, Jordan remains a trusted partner to the United States, which may explain why King Abdullah was the first Arab leader to be hosted by President Biden at the White House last year. Jordan has a historic political, economic, security, and military partnership with the United States that has flourished under mutual interests. As monarch, King Abdullah initiated economic liberalization, promoted intra- and interfaith harmony and peace around the world, and founded the 2015 Aqaba Process Initiative to enhance regional and international coordination to counter-terrorism and extremism. While regional powerhouses struggled to stay afloat during infighting and political shifts, Jordan stayed steadfast to its values and principles. Jordan welcomed an influx of Syrian refugees with open arms, setting a model for the world and a paradigm shift by carrying out a global public good. Jordan continues to work and coordinate with the U.S. on many other regional and global concerns in pursuit of regional peace, especially between the Palestinians and the Israelis. More recently, King Abdullah has rallied regional leaders to act together to improve energy and food security in the midst of supply chain disruptions associated with the repercussions of the pandemic and a number of international developments. We welcome King Abdullah II of Jordan to discuss the Jordan-US relationship, Jordan's role in overcoming regional, socioeconomic, diplomatic, and security challenges, and what more can be done to resolve conflicts, stabilize the Middle East, and improve the lives of people in a region that has been rife with violence and suffering for too long.
0: Your Majesty, welcome to Battlegrounds. What an honor it is to, to host you and, to, and I know our audience is gonna love hearing your thoughts and, and your perspective. My dear friend, the honor is mine. I'm, I'm glad to see you again and I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you. I thought we might just dive right into it because our time is limited and there's a lot to cover. You know, you're here in Washington, and, and of course, the Jordanian-U.S. relationship is a special relationship. Jordan's a country that has always had a broad regional perspective and helped all of us understand the dynamics in the in the greater Middle East. And of course, as we look at the region today, it's it looks pretty tough, right, in terms of ongoing violence, what I call this fitna or the sectarian civil war, the cycle of sectarian violence that we see in, in, in Yemen and in, in Syria. Of course, you're hosting so many Refugees in Jordan as a result of the Syrian civil war might you just share with our viewers your perspective on the broader dynamics in the Middle East and And what your expectations are
2: for the US Jordanian relationship going forward? Well, I mean our relationship is a is a very old historic one um, uh, My father um, met Eisenhower as his first uh, presidential contact um, and so this is an institutional relationship not only with the um, um, consecutive in- administrations, but with the, your military, your intelligence, uh, with Congress. Um, and it's, it's a very strong one. I think it's probably one of the, um, the strongest in the region, especially uh, based on trust. Um, and as you said, uh, we live in a difficult neighborhood. And time has shown uh, Jordanians and, uh, and Americans uh, standing, unfortunately, shoulder to shoulder in different uh, conflict zones. Uh, but I'm very proud of that uh, um, relationship that we have between our two countries. Uh, obviously, um, most days are not good days in our part of the world, um, and, and we've, we we all, I, I believe, um, do the best that we can to look at the glass half full and to move the process forward. Uh, at the moment, uh, as you alluded to, uh, the challenges in Yemen, we're very worried about um, the humanitarian disaster in Lebanon. Uh, two years of COVID, um, uh, ISIS has uh, re-emerged, um, uh, whether it's in Syria or in Iraq. Uh, we talked uh, yesterday briefly about um, Reemergence emergence of, um, of, of them around the world, including Africa. Um, so our visit here to the United States is, uh, again, uh, to coordinate with our friends um, and to see what we can do to look at the tactical and the strategic map of 2022 um, and how do we build that teamwork and coalition between many of us um, to sort of ease the suffering that the people are having in the region. Well, Your Majesty, you've, you've often convened countries across the region within the GC but beyond the GCC.
0: Uh, Jordan is a, is a center for military cooperation. You're a military officer and have a strong cavalry background, which I admire greatly. <laughs> and um, and I, I just wondered, what is your vision for joint Arab action going forward? And I know that uh, you've convened a, a number of groups uh, to, to isolate jihadist terrorists, for, for example, from sources of ideological support under the Aqaba process. Yes. But might you share with our viewers
2: Jordan's role in the region and what your vision is for joint Arab action? Well. Um, uh there has been joint Arab action. There's also tremendous um, cooperation between um, uh, Jordan and uh, NATO. Uh, this is where uh, uh, we in the United States have, have worked a lot, uh, under UN umbrellas uh, over uh, many decades, uh, peacekeeping forces all over the world. Um, more recently, obviously, is the coordination uh, between Arab countries uh, against the ISIS threat. Um, and, and again, you've got to look at the region to see where they are. syria so here in Iraq, are main battlegrounds for us. Uh, that means that they're on our borders. Uh, We have conflict on a fairly regular basis uh, with them. Uh, But as I think the the British vernacular, we have to look at the the, the world, what they call ink spots. Uh, So it's the holistic approach of being able to chew gum and walk at the same time and look at the whole globe. Uh, We can't concentrate one year on Syria, the next year on Iraq, and then ignore al-Shabaab, Boko Haram in Africa, the challenges that we see uh, in the Philippines with terrorism and if that links into Indonesia, uh, de-radicalization in Europe, the Balkans, Uh, We've just been asked under the ACABA process to, uh, and again, two years of COVID delayed that, but uh, the new task force for our ACABA process, which brings in um, the South American countries and Latin American countries. So we all are working together on a a global approach to make sure that we can, as as I said, chew gum and walk at the same time with these issues.
0: We to, I think it's a, such an important vision because our, our, our enemies are networked. We need a network solution. Exactly. I think it's quite clear. So I, I wonder if we might talk about an even more vexing problem, maybe. And this is uh, the, the, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian issue. You visited Ramallah this year, uh, I think for the first time to, to the Palestinian Authority. There, there's, there's increasing discussion about maybe a lack of confidence among those who had confidence before in the ability to make some progress toward a two-state solution. What, what is your vision? for the Israeli-Palestinian issue, especially in the wake of the, the recent
2: violence we've seen? Well, you know, I think uh, being soldiers, uh, we, we all learn never to give up. Um, and, and so um, uh, it's no excuse to have issues and then ignore them. Um, I do f- believe that, um, and this is not just in our region, but the world, uh, two years of, of COVID, uh, people are frustrated and fed up, right. um, and, and um, with um, the difficulties for um, social economic problems Uh, compounded with the food security issues that you and I had talked about before. That's going to only get worse with the Russian-Ukrainian issue. Um, A lot of leaders that I've been talking to recently have woken up to the fact that we need to fix our own problems. Um, There is always um, the easy way out that, you know, the United States will come in and solve all our issues. And uh, many of us have always said, you know, we need to do the heavy lifting on behalf of the United States. But, you know, um, talk the talk, unfortunately. What I see in the past several months is uh, Arab leaders coming together and saying, how can we chart a new vision um, for, for our region? And, and it's not just the Arab Peninsula. We're also looking, obviously, at Iraq, which uh, you have a lot of experience uh, there. They are a vital part of the future of the Arab world. And how do we connect with the Iraqis? How do we solve, as you said, the Israeli-Palestinian issue? Because no matter, no matter what relations Arab countries have with Israel, if we don't solve the Palestinian issue, it's, it's really two steps forward and two steps back as far as I'm concerned. So we're all working, uh, knowing that the last month was uh, a difficult month. Um, we had Ramadan, Passover, uh, and Easter holidays. Uh, but can we afford to go through this again next year? Right. Um, and so I hope that the, the dust will settle in the next couple of weeks. And then how do we get Israelis and Palestinians to the table? Yeah. Not because of politics, but again, because of dash social economic challenges coming right. out of COVID and compounded now with Ukraine right. and Russia.
0: And, and, and just making progress on these issues could unleash some tremendous potential, I think, in the region. We're talking about problems that have more problems on the slate here to discuss, but. Could you maybe talk about your vision for economic integration in the region and and, and an opportunity to to take advantage of the great promise in the terms of the, the region's resources and those resources primarily being the the very young population in the middle east
2: so um, you know absolutely uh, um my discussions in ramallah and i've been there several times and discussion with with, with the israeli um leadership is uh, I mean, obviously we believe in a two-state solution and i think that's the only solution that allows uh, Israel's integration into the Middle East is when we solve the issues for the Palestinians. Um, you know, uh, food security, uh, unemployment, um, uh, poverty is, is an issue not just between Israelis and Palestinians um, and, and, and Jordan, but further afield and if you look at Africa, the challenges that they're going to have. We all need to come together in these new resilience packs um, to be able to, to help each other. And so I think the economy, I hope, overshadows uh, political uh, limitations. Um, And how do we break barriers down? Everybody around the world, at the end of the day, the vast majority want a better life. Uh, They want to be able to make sure that their families are secure and that we can move forward with hope. Um, But it comes down to us as leaders providing that narrative um, to the people so that they can buy into it. You know, Your Majesty,
0: uh, one of the purposes of this program, this series, is to to help people understand better, how they can help build a better future. And I, when I think of you and Jordan, Jordan has a positive vision for the future. There are others in the region who do not. And I would put the Iranians at the top of that list, and especially how Iran has f- continued to foment this cycle of sectarian conflict in a way that I think keeps the Arab world enmeshed in conflict and, 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 uh, and, and violence. From Yemen to Syria, you've borne the brunt of much of the Syrian civil war with the refugees that you're hosting in Jordan. What, is, what are your thoughts about how to approach the problem of Iran and the continued effort to export the revolution, uh, to, to threaten Israel through proxy forces and to threaten others uh, in the region? Mustafa Okademi, our friend, right, who was attacked uh, by, by a drone attack. By, several, through, times, yes. several times, Several
2: um, times. W- what can be done about the Iranian problem? So, so the, I think that is happening on, on multiple um, um, avenues. Uh, the, the, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is reaching out to, to the Iranians uh, Gulf countries uh, have uh, dialogue. Um, I'm, I'm not too sure um, uh, how tactical or strategic from the Iranian point of view uh, that is. Um, obviously, we want everybody to be part of a, a new Middle East and, uh, and, and a move forward. Um, but we, we do have um, security challenges. We're seeing um, uh, border attacks on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and we know who's behind that. Right. Um, uh, one of the, I think, one of the issues that we're studying uh, at this point um, whether people like to hear this or not, the, the presence of the Russians in the South uh, in Syria uh, was a source of calm because they were making sure that we could deconflict, um, and if you remember correctly, there was a deconfliction center between the United States and Russia yes. in Jordan to make sure that um, more good days and bad days that vacuum will be filled by um, uh, the Iranians and their proxies. Um, so unfortunately we 're looking at uh, maybe an escalation of problems on our borders. Mm-hmm. So do the politics, the uh, negotiations that are going on between the Sa- Saudi Arabia, uh, the Gulf countries, the um, United States, does that move um, Iran into a positive, more positive light? I hope so. I'm not seeing it on the ground at the moment. Yeah. You, mentioned, you, m- you mentioned Russia. And, and of course, I think
0: some countries in the region have seen Russia as a way to hedge against the U.S. professed imminent disengagement from the region, right? We keep saying, we're leaving the Middle East. And I think that has created a tendency on the part of uh, of maybe even Jordan, but certainly the Israelis to hedge with the Russians. But of course now with this brutal attack on Ukraine, it's tough to be sympathetic to the Russians, I think, from my perspective anyway. What what are your your thoughts broadly on how Russia's war against Ukraine, the renewed invasion of Ukraine has affected
2: the Middle East? Different countries will look at it uh, um, in uh, slightly different ways. I mean, from from the Jordanian perspective, um, the, the Russians are on our border um, in 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 Syria, um, and so that is part of our calculation. Uh, the, the Russians uh, play a role in the quartet, uh, the peace process between the Israelis and Palestinians. Uh, so they are active international players. And again, it'll be very interesting to see um, post Ukraine, if we can put it that way where the Russians are in Syria. Um, They were, I I think, the predominant force. Um, I know that now that gap is being filled by the Iranians. Um, That quite possibly will create more insecurities in the region, so that's something that uh, we have to to look at. You touched on a very important uh, um, uh, point where there is this feeling of America pivoting away uh, from from the Middle East. A lot of countries um, have trade relationships with with Russia and China, um, um, as they do with many countries around the world. That's, That's, I think, pretty normal. Um, But I think the military long-term alliance is always uh, with the West. Do leaders feel um, that America is turning its back? Uh, That is a narrative that is out there. And I think Uh, you're talking about the Emiratis, the Saudis. Uh, So I I think the Emiratis are are being put unfairly into into a box on on that. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, uh, this is is a a nation that has spent um, uh, 30 years uh, in six campaigns fighting side by side with the United States. I mean, with great, um, with great courage and With, distinction, with great courage in, in, and great uh, capabilities. In Afghanistan, in particular. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, I, I, I don't see um, uh, that as an issue. But again, I think from, from an Emirati um, perspective, you've got to understand that um, this is a, a very capable, wealthy country that has investments all over the world. So, mm-hmm. so sometimes I think they're thrown into, into, into a corner uh, w- with a lack of understanding of that relationship. I, I know um, the leadership there. Uh, I know their long-term relationship with the West. And quite honestly, um, having been in Europe um, uh, after the start of the war uh, between Ukraine and Russia, um, I I put it to you that we have a a stronger Europe emerging and a stronger European-American relationship emerging. So uh, if anybody thinks that you guys are out of it, you're you're back in the game big time, I think, Um, and, uh, and, and, and people have to understand that. And I think that's a positive thing on many of the issues that we have discussed.
0: Your, your Majesty, of course, one of the big grievances for the Emiratis is the the Houthi rebels and their connection to a, Iran and the U.S. decision not to designate the Houthis any longer as a terrorist organization. I think this, this bothers them. But I think the, the overall point, and I'd love for you to just expound on this, is that is that important competitions, global competitions, play out in the Middle East, which is one of the reasons it doesn't make sense to pivot away from a region and then, of course, maybe seed influence and, and, uh, and strategic advantage to Russia and China as well. Could you maybe share some thoughts on, on how competitions with these maybe uh, revanchist powers uh, uh, on the Eurasian
2: landmass are, are playing out in, in the Middle East? Well, I mean, I think you see that, that competition globally. That's, that, that's part think, of human yeah. uh, nature. Yeah. Um, and, and I think part of the problem is that I've seen in my, my own little way over the past several decades when people don't talk to each other, uh, misunderstandings increase. so again, I, I, I remember going back to when we had a 24/ seven deconfliction center in Jordan mm-hmm. um, uh, 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 sort of with our umbrella, but with Russians and, 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 and Americans meeting on regular basis to make sure that there's deconfliction in Syria. When you guys were talking, that was a good thing uh, from my perspective because a lot of misunderstandings were put to the side. Uh, obviously, uh, looking at the global issues now, uh, I, I think there has to be a reset. When things calm down, um, there's, I think there's more of a European, to an extent American history in our area than, than there is. Uh, the Russian history is, is somewhat newer from the Cold War. Right. Uh, but I think when we look over centuries and uh, maybe sort of more modern history, um, the channels of connectivity and culture are, are, are more Europe Western centric. Yeah. Your Majesty, uh, you know, there is the skepticism these days
0: about really. Any, any sustained American activities even abroad, military or, uh, or just other forms of engagement. And, and there seems to be sort of a new, kind of almost isolation and sentiment. And the Middle East is usually the region most talked about. And I'd just like to give you the opportunity, if you would, wouldn't mind, explaining to our viewers, why should Americans care uh, about, about what's happening in the Middle East? And, and, and how can America play a productive role in building a better future for the people in the region, Uh, but also for people here in the United States?
2: I mean, I think there's a realism of of understanding that um, different countries have the right to have priorities. Um, And uh, uh, the United States, uh, over the past couple of years, is looking at domestic issues. Uh, uh, China was a subject we kept on hearing. Uh, I think the um, um, Russian-Ukrainian situation, uh, again, brings a a new focus. Uh, What I've said consistently to to American presidents is that uh, uh, you, you could ignore the Middle East at your peril uh, because <laughs> it'll come back and, and, and yeah. give you a swift kick up the backside if you're not careful um, but I, as I see the new um, the, the desire to reengage by by Arab countries um, uh, to solve the israeli palestinian issue to move um, the the regional relationship better part of it because of the of the challenges that Iran uh, poses uh, I, I think America this is the right time for America to, to engage in our part of the world. Um, having said that, as I said earlier, uh, it is up to us to do the heavy lifting. Um, and this, this, um, this maybe, I, wouldn't, I don't wanna say laziness, but this American could do everything. Um, and that's not fair. Um, so you will see uh, Jordan, uh, Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia, um, uh, UAE, Iraq, uh, Egypt, um, some of the other Gulf countries really coming together to tie and, and, and chart a vision for, for, for people and, and have that coordination. And then we go to the United States and say, can you help push us um, across the finish line?
0: Your Majesty, you've been really generous with your time. I'd like to just offer you for any concluding comments, anything you'd like to leave our viewers with.
2: N- n- not at all. I mean, I, I think, uh, uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, we're here in the United States to, to, to thank um, um, the administration, uh, the Congress and the American people for uh, the tremendous support we've always gotten from the United States. Again. When you looked at our refugee challenges, uh, uh, to, we have 35% of our country is refugees. That's about 110 uh, million people compared to United States figures uh, that came in in a very short period of time. Um, and it, was, it wasn't for your support to, to, to our country to get us through that. Um, I don't know where we'd be. And again, the tremendous relationship we have between our militaries. I mean, uh, we're all very, very proud um, that uh, Jordanians and Americans um, stand shoulder to shoulder, uh, not just on our borders, but in many places around the world. And that's only gonna continue and something I'm very proud of.
0: Your Majesty, on behalf of the Hoover Institution, thank you so much for spending time with us and providing your insights and wisdom and perspective on on the Middle East and why it should matter to all of us. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Your Majesty.
1: Battlegrounds is a production of the Hoover Institution where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work, To hear more of our podcasts or view our video content, please visit hoover.org.